This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Come, but also go back to, you know, um, I'd lost a lot of myself. And we were like, well, wait a second. We like each other again. Well, well, let's not fall into these same patterns. Is this eating ice cream? You know, is this just a little bit of ice cream as you described it? And we said, well, no, we need a, we need a better plan. We can't just eat ice cream all the time. And we can't just, you know, we can't sit and say now everything's okay and just coexist. Dory one, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to episode 59 of the Military Veteran Dad. And today is one week from the official day that I found out that I lost my job. And you might be thinking, why Ben so sound so cheery? He lost his job. Well, I can say in the last seven days, I've gone through a high and low roller coaster of grieving and just letting go because I did work there for eight years. So there was a lot of connection, purpose, and it was just kind of a little bit of a security blanket. It was always there for eight years. It was just something that I did. It was a constant. But now, like Thursday and Friday, I've really been feeling extremely free. And I am just ready to go on to the next pivot, as I'm calling about it. If you're friends with me on Facebook or LinkedIn, I've been blogging about it every day and I feel my heart is more free. I feel my emotions are more free. So if you want to follow my my journey of finding the next pivot, check me out on LinkedIn or on Facebook because I'm sharing it there. I'm also doing a few on Instagram as well at Ben underscore Chloe. But man, I feel so great. So stay tuned. I'm going to talk a little bit more probably using the Friday solo to talk about my pivot and different things like that. But I am ready to step into the 2020 that I've talked about in the beginning and honestly didn't really know what was going to happen when I talked about it in the beginning. But now this is going to be it. And today is February 3rd. And that means we are just 11 days away from Valentine's Day. And I didn't realize this, but it worked out perfect that we've had a theme of marriage podcast leading up to Valentine's Day the most complicated, confusing holiday for men. You try your best, you put your best foot forward, nine times out of 10, you've probably missed it. And that's just, I think that's part of the holiday. I think that's part of the cliche, but that is what it is. But these episodes that we've been putting out on marriage between Daniel Faust and we had the one with last week, this one with Lance Salazar is going to be even better. Maybe not better, but it is going to be different. Different is a better word there. Because this one actually goes into a story that is so real that you can't help but find similarities in your own life. Lance Salazar and Brandy Salazar, those names might be familiar because they recently wrote last year the book called Legendary Couples, Miracle Morning. 
actually the other way around miracle morning for legendary couples and miracle morning is a series written by Hale elrod and this series is essentially probably there's like 15 different flavors of the miracle morning and they had their story and they used their story to create the miracle morning for legendary couples and it's now what they do for their living it's now what they tell their story they use it as a platform to help other marriages come back together and this story takes place in about 2015 but now in 2020, they I've, I've met Lance in person. I've heard him speak. I've heard the story. I've heard Brandy tell her side of the story on other podcasts. And it is just absolutely amazing. There'll be a link to that book in the show notes if you want to go ahead and check it out. And again, that's the Miracle Morning for Legendary Couples. And if you've read any of the Miracle Morning series, I highly recommend any of them. But this particular one is going to take the same idea of the savers and spending a certain time, amount of time in the morning in this particular case, connecting with the one you love. So without further ado, let's get started with Lance Salazar, and then I will talk to you again on Friday. Welcome to the show, Lance. Ben, thanks, dude. I'm honored to be here. I really appreciate you asking me to be on your show. I appreciate you coming on the show. I was, as much as we become friends over the last year, I would say a little, I was a little bit nervous, nevertheless, that, asking you is you're you and brandy are pretty up there in the fame category i think anything you're connected to hell elrod you automatically put yourself into a, a league all of your own and for people that don't know you give us a little bit of background about your story and how you and your wife became the people that look to for coming back home to the marriage you know that's funny i'll try to keep it as brief as possible because i don't think that our story is that different from a lot of other people's stories um, really, that's what you learn about when you're on the other side, I think. Yeah, it's so there's true. More you know? degrees, there's less degrees of separation between your issues and others, yeah. but no one's really willing to say them. And sometimes I think there's other things that go on in, in relationships that, that lead to the demise of a relationship that we didn't experience. And I know I'm getting off track here rather than an introduction, but, you know, like Brandy and I never had any issues with, you know, infidelity, you know, um, so we are, we don't often resonate sometimes with, with, you know, folks that have that going on in the relationship. But anyhow, let me, I'll, I'm digressing, getting off track. But, you know, about five years ago, Brandy and I were like your typical couple that we just couldn't figure out how to necessarily get along. You know, we, we realized that there were these moments of our relationship being okay, you know, pretty decent. But then we found that 50%, maybe 70% of the time and more as, as it kept getting worse, that there was all this resentment and things building up that, you know, the relationship wasn't really good. And we came to this impasse where, you know, and it's interesting because we've had this question asked of us a few times where people will say, well, didn't you think about staying together for your daughters? And at the time they were, let me think about this and subtracting, they were like six and three, six years old and three years old. And we looked at each other and we said, is this, is this what it's all cracked up to be? Is this what a good marriage looks like? Is this the relationship that we hope for our daughters to have when they get married. And from both of us, as much as it hurt us and probably me more than, than Brandy was, no, this is not what we want for them. And they're watching us. They're, they have a front row seat to how we interact with each other. They have a front row seat to us arguing. They have a front row seat to us just not spending time together. And that's the impression, the model that they're getting for what marriage looks like. And so Brandy and I decided that we were going to separate that <clears throat> our children would have a better shot 
us with two people than they would with their mother and father together. And so Brandy and I decided to, you know, to separate, but we didn't completely put total divorce on the table just yet. What we both kind of realized too, though, is, is that we had some of our own cleanup to do, that we had each lost a bit of ourselves in our marriage, and that we wanted to truly get back to being people that we really liked being. And if you were to ask Brandy her side of the story, it's going to be a little bit different because her journey is quite a bit different than, than mine. My programming, programming I was bringing to the marriage was different from the programming she was bringing to the marriage. But what I recognized, Ben, was in that moment that I didn't like who I was. I didn't like how I was showing up as a father. I didn't like how I was showing up as a husband. I didn't like how I was showing, how I was showing up as a man. And although I didn't go and see uh, a doctor about it, I kind of self-diagnosed myself with depression. And I don't know if I was, you know, I didn't medicate or whatever else, but I certainly didn't like my life. I didn't like where I was. I didn't like where I was going. And at the time, I was not involved in any form of personal development. And, you know, Brandy was, especially with business. She was involved in personal development as it related to business. I was a, a working, you know, a corporate pharmacist who had, you know, was W two employee. She was a real estate investor and a real estate agent, and and so she was out living more of an entrepreneur's life. And and I think we couldn't quite see eye to eye with each other on where our lives were going. She was out there crushing it and and doing all this, like I said, personal development related to growing her business and. It, we just weren't, we were living two separate lives in a lot of ways. You didn't ways. have a shared vision. We did not. Oh, not for our family, not for our marriage. We had our own individual, well, she had her own individual vision. I can't even say I had one. I don't think I had a vision for myself, Ben. So I went down this path of like, well, you know, what is personal growth? What is personal development? You know, uh, I started, I just really started reading books. And one of the first things I, I really did is, um, Randy was involved in an organization that was bringing in Hal Elrod as a speaker. And in order to kind of understand what his message was, because a lot of the people in this organization, it was called One Life Fully Lived, didn't quite know who Hal Elrod really was. She started reading The Miracle Morning. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to read this thing too. And I'm like, huh, six things I could do in the morning. If anything, what that book and what that idea did was it gave me a sense of direction for a way I could, for, for a structure for the morning at least, so that I could do every single day. Can I do a this blueprint every single a little day? bit. Yeah, exactly. Like a roadmap, even, if you want to call it that. And I started doing the savers every single day, all of them. And it was weird at first. I'm like, you know, as a pharmacist, everything is very scientific and black and white, I guess you could say. And, and so this idea of meditation and visualization and affirmations and, you know, exercise and reading, you know, I, I could kind of get my, wrap my mind around. A little um, bit of woo-woo stuff in there. Yeah, it was a little bit out there, right? <clears throat> And as a pharmacist too, I think everything needs to be explained for it to make sense. You know, that if it's not in, you know, in the scientific literature, then it's not true. I'm sure you probably also suffered from, uh, if you couldn't take a pill to fix it, there's nothing wrong. Right, exactly. So anyhow, I went down this path of, I would say, honestly, I mean, we put the side note, we put our marriage on the shelf is what Brandy and I call it. If you talk to us enough, you'll hear us use that term. We put our marriage on the shelf. What did that mean? It meant that we would live in the same house for a period of time. We gave ourselves three months before we would literally move out and, you know, divorce. 
and we kind of kept the kids alive. We, you know, we tried, we tried to be nice to each other, but we took everything related to intimacy, especially sex off the table. It just wasn't anything we were like, no, there's too much pressure around it. Um, it can sometimes be a bandaid. We found if we had sex and it was good, everything was okay, but then it wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. it was sort of like this false sense of our relationship being good. It's and like it, eating ice cream. Right, exactly. Makes right? you feel all nice and just amazing inside, but then it quickly fades away in your life. Exactly. With the calories right. of your gut. <laughs> I think that's a really good way to look at it, Ben. And so, but what what Brandy noticed was she liked the person I was starting to not become, but also go back to. You know, um, I'd lost a lot of myself, and we were like, "Well, wait a second we like each other again. Well, well, let's not fall into these same patterns. Is this eating ice cream? You know, is this just a little bit of ice cream as you described it? And we said, well, no, we need to, we need a better plan. We can't just eat ice cream all the time. And we can't just, you know, we can't sit and say now everything's okay and just coexist. We decided we were going to do something radically different. And we, we decided we were going to take like business principles and, and health principles and say, what, do we want this marriage to look like? What do we want to be doing in this marriage so that it can be, you know, this vision, you know, like if you want to lose 50 pounds, for example, you can't just sit on the couch and will yourself to do that. You have to have a plan. I'm going to exercise this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to measure this. If that's not working, I'm going to pivot and do this. And we took those exact principles to our marriage. It sounds a little bit rigid, but man, it really brought a lot of clarity and direction, which is a huge thing I think a lot of couples miss is the idea of direction in your relationship uh, that was missing before and it changed everything. And we started just kind of sharing about this with friends because like I said, we don't, I think there's a lot of, I'm probably answering your short question with a really long answer, but I think there's a lot of, at least at the time, a lot of taboo around couples saying that there's a problem, you know, like we'd be on Facebook and suddenly a couple is divorced and we didn't even know there was a problem. You know, I would say 2015, it was still like Facebook is no one really had fully cracked the mirror that Facebook's not reality. Right. And so we didn't want that either. We don't want people thinking that everything was shiny and perfect. And we just started sharing, you know, as you know, Ben, we can't do this all alone. So we just started sharing and people started kind of secretly, but then it became a little more open to say, what did you do? What did you guys do? And we kind of looked at each other and, you know, we're like, I don't know, what, what do we do? Let's, let's map this all out. It's like, if we want to replicate for other people what, you know, we, we, we did, we better come up with a structure. And that's what we did. And, and so that's how Legendary Couples was born. Legendary Couples with Kids was just us sharing our story, just telling people, you know, um, yeah, we, we, we mess up. We still mess up. And we were on the brink of divorce, but let, we'll just share with you what, we did and maybe it'll work for you. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But it works for us and it continues to work for us. And, you know, and here we are today sharing that. And, you know, going back to Hal really quick, you know, we were doing savers, but we, we were starting to do them together. And we came up with our own mini routine. And, you know, we shared that with Hal. We're like, you know, just out of a whim. We're like, hey, you know, this is what we kind of do on the side. Your savers even work, you know, to do them as a couple. And he's like, that's brilliant. Will you write a book? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about an asteroid hitting you right in the head. He's like, oh. yeah, we're like, uh, okay. How do you write a book? <laughs> so that's so what we did. We, we got up at 4 a.m. every morning for a period of about two months. And out came uh, the miracle morning for couples. So, so the one thing that guys suck at is expressing emotions and saying what they feel. What were some of the feelings that you were feeling in those first 30 days? Like, like even from like internally or even feelings that you started having for Brandy again? I was scared. 
I, I want to say I was really scared, but it, truthfully, Ben, we'd been at that at those crossroads before. And I think I got to in that moment, there was there was fear, but at the same time, there was a, a bigger realness to it than there was before. Because I think Brandy would just express her dissatisfaction in the marriage and be like, yeah, 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 change a few things here and everything would be okay for a moment. And then it wouldn't be. And but in this moment, I was looking for apartments. I was looking for corporate housing. I was looking for, well, where am I going to go? How are we going to tell the kids? For the first time, that was what was going on in my mind. And, and I was a little bit scared. And I want to say, you know, I was a little maybe embarrassed, embarrassed for what the, uh, if the relationship didn't work out, what people would think. And I think that's what drives people not to reach out for help to not really say much, let's say on Facebook or whatever else. They don't want, they, there's this thing around failure and embarrassment to a, to a marriage that I think people are challenged with, you know, especially, and I think it cripples them from seeking help. So what was I feeling? those things. But at the same time, dude, I was also really fed up. I was just done with where, how I was leading my life. I wasn't living in integrity. Um, I wasn't showing up, you know, I wasn't growing up in my relationship and I was just done. I was just, you know, I'm like, and I really started getting my head around ideas, things like, you know, if I'm not, I'm the common denominator. If my marriage fails now and I don't change anything about myself. I'm going to carry the same programming and patterns into the next relationship. And so once again, my kids are going to get a view of another crappy relationship. Yep. You know, so I had to change myself and I completely let go, which is a hard thing to do. I think guys ask me this a lot. How do you let go of the outcome? How do you let go of, uh, of caring about what your how your wife is going to react and let I want to say this it's not letting go of caring about my wife it's not letting go of any of those things but it's not being attached to how she's going to react to it you know and I've heard it recently described <laughs> as almost like loving her through the storm and I've really kind of equated it to like standing in the middle of a hurricane and you can't move an inch and sometimes women bring you a blast of air that is so fierce, it's hurricane force. And you can't help but feel the rain ripping off your skin. But you have to be able to love through that, that wind and rawness of whatever your woman's bringing you and continue to love without getting content connected with what she's bringing you. Because what she's bringing you is her love for you. And she's testing whether you're going to still be there on the other side of that. Yeah. And I started really practicing this idea of separating myself from myself. Let me describe it this way. I would think about or look at myself in certain interactions as a third party observer. And I would be like, dude, you're showing up like an idiot right now. And I'm not saying I'm not trying to be self-deprecating or what what have you, but I would I would definitely look at and say, are you acting in a way of of somebody you'd want to be married to? Like you think a woman would want to be married to that? And I'm like, no, something's got to be different. And so I really started stepping into the idea of being the husband I wanted to truly be because I wasn't being that. So that's a question right there that people often skip that you can blame a lot on your wife. And there could be a good reason to blame. But if you were to do an inventory of yourself, there is still a lot of shit on the table of yourself that you would automatically classify as a crappy husband without even evaluating the other party. And that, I think that's what you guys kind of started with first is like that self-inventory of, of what my checklist sucks at right now and making sure that that's checked before I come back to the relationship. 
Totally, you know, um, and Brandy had a different journey, but I think we kind of came to the same uh, conclusion that neither one of us really liked the spouse we were being, you know, and we decided, both decided, well, who do we want to be? You know, uh, how do we want to show up? And my thought was around, if I show up the way I truly think I should show up as a husband, it's either going to attract Brandy back to me or, or it's going to repel her and it'll attract somebody else. Because if I'm living my, my true, authentic, real self that I want to be, then that's going to attract the person, that, that right person for me, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, truthfully, a lot of what I reacquired was my own confidence and mojo back. And so what it reminded Brandy of without some of the arrogant pieces and the ego pieces that were probably there when we met when I was much younger, um, the things that she was attracted to in the first place, she's like, ah, there's the Lance I remember. There are the good pieces of Lance that I really fell in love with and it's back. And once she decided to stick with me and and we wanted to create the marriage we wanted to, there was no going back to that person that was the husband not showing up again. I was not going to be that guy again. Mm-hmm. Um, he creeps in every now and again when it's not going to lie. I mean, some of those, you know, confidence pieces kind of get at me and the, but I remember I have the self-awareness and then I have the tools in order to, to, to move through it more rapidly than I could before. When Brandy started going on her own journey, what brought you back to her? What do you, do you remember like a moment where you you felt like that, like you felt the magnetic pull of coming back to her? Yeah. You know, one of the biggest things Brandy really did was she was really like, it's this business acumen that she has this sort of like, I, I can create a plan, you know, I can be on a team. Uh, A lot of it had to do with including me, if that makes sense, was this sort of sense of like, ah, I like you again. I really, you know, I like this new Lance, but let's be a team and let's, let's move forward. Forward. And, you know, there's definitely more of like this, if it makes any sense, there was more of this high-fiving coming out of her mm-hmm. than there was, you know, prior to. I think, you know, her journey was much more like I'm crushing it at work, but when I come home, I don't, my husband sucks, my kids are sucking, and I just want to go back to work. I want to go back to where people really, you know, celebrate me. She didn't mm-hmm. feel celebrated in the home. Um, so I think a lot of it just came from the fact that she didn't want to give up. She, I would say she made the first moves toward wanting to stick it out than I did because I was in a lot of ways just sort of like, okay, unattached, right? I had this sort of unattached, I'm going to be the husband I think I should be. And if she comes back, great. If not, and so it was more of an attraction than it was of her being attracted to me than it was for me to, I never lost attraction, I would say for Brandy, if that makes sense. Um, I thought she had some very masculine qualities. I think she started to sink into her feminine more and she does that today. She really studies, you know, feminine uh, ideas. She has a very, she's very driven, but at the same time back then she was much more just hard edged. This is how it's going to be. Um, heavily driven. It's my way or the highway. And I think she started to let me lead. She started to let me, you know, to, she was emasculating me before, Um, and now she was allowing me to lead more, to be my more masculine, authentic self. And she was, uh, leaning into her feminine more, uh, as well. You had mentioned that you were kind of closed off 
And this is essentially, I think, every classic military man, because we're trying to keep our emotions on lockdown because they'll get us killed. What was your journey like opening up your heart? Yeah. So while I'm not in the military, um, my father was a drill instructor in the Marine Corps. Oh, perfect. So, so yeah, right? And <laughs> I think there was a lot of programming he gave me. Now around. I know why I've always gotten along with you. <laughs> he, You know, what's interesting about a guy who was a DI, uh, he was down at MCRD uh, in San Diego, down Balboa, and, and spent a lot of time at Pendleton when I was uh, young. Um, he, he never pushed me into going into the Marine Corps, which is interesting. You know, he never, he never once said, you know, you should go into the military. I always find that, found that so interesting from a guy that you actually know, makes Marines. Yeah. I remember, you know, this is a total side story, but I remember sitting on the toilet as a kid, you know, you know, everyone had magazines. Now we just have our phones and we get on the toilet and we get on our phones and everyone had the basket of magazines, you know, at the toilet back in the, you know, late seventies, eighties. I'm at, you know, I was born in 73, so I'm 46. He had all like these Marine Corps magazines by the toilet with like, guns and tanks and it was i forget what at the marine corps digest is what i think it was to be honest military times or marine corps times no i think it was called the marine corps digest back then i don't know yeah i don't know this is i'm guessing this is somewhere like 1983 84 i remember this most clearly and so there was definitely this programming that he gave me around you know uh, militaristically living and when things just don't work out meh, you just kind of move on and and I did, I did get a little closed off sometimes additionally just go back to my own program my mom was killed in a car accident when I was 20 and I think I got this sort of sense of like life is short whatever you know not to get a, too close to people because they just die and yeah uh, why why relive that pain again yeah so did your dad create a safe space for you to feel anything or did it, was it not safe to express something? Like, did he get upset uh, if you were crying when you were maybe like eight? No, like, not really. Uh-uh. Uh, I don't remember that from him. That doesn't mean he wasn't a loving father. He actually was, you know, very supportive. He was very encouraging. He gave me a lot of great life lessons that I still reflect on today. Um, but he definitely wasn't the... Uh, nurturing, you know, like my mother was. My mother was that. When she passed away, I definitely saw more of a side of my father that I hadn't seen before. It was weird to see him cry when my mom died. He cried. I, I don't. I can't say I actually ever saw him cry. I've only seen uh, my dad cry maybe once, and it was when my grandmother died. It was, yeah. Uh, so, and then plus, I was a pharmacist uh, unconventionally in, in an ICU, so I would see people die all the time in my job. You know, the one I met Brandy, and it was just like, oh, you know. One of our patients died today and put her in, put him in a body bag. You know, it was just part of my job. Um, and so there, I was definitely kind of walled off a lot. I would say from day one, uh, even my children used to say, you know, daddy, I've never seen you cry. Now I, they see me cry all the time. It's crazy. So it's, <laughs> my kid, uh, my daughter it. will often look back at me at what were we watching? We were watching uh, a Disney movie. Uh, I can't think maybe it'll come to me, but my, uh, they look back at me and like Lillian was like, daddy, why are you crying? And I was like, damn busted yeah no man the ability to feel like that i think has been one of the greatest gifts uh that i've been given over the last few years you know for my children to be able to see that for them to know it's okay to do that um and truthfully it draws brandy and i closer i think she actually really appreciates seeing me actually emote if that makes us make some sense yeah <laughs> so did you find that that gift was there from your mom and dad and you suppressed it or was that something you kind of had to tap in and self-create a little bit. I think I had to self-create it, to be honest with you. I think there's a bit of my mom that 
helped me with that, but I don't know. And that's a good question, Ben. I'm not really sure. I'm not certain. Um, I think Brandy brought a lot of it out of me. Um, and honestly, dude, you know, it's interesting. Um, helping people with their relationships has helped me. You know, um, I actually, when one of the first things I really wanted to do rather than help people with their marriages is to be a health coach. I actually have a certification in integrative nutrition. I have a health coaching certification I've never used because as a pharmacist, I really thought that I could do something different, you know, um, and helping people with their health and all the, and, and above and beyond. I, this was my own ego. I felt above and beyond what typical health coaches have because I have a doctorate degree in pharmacology, you know, um, that I can sort of relate to that and have more of an expertise and both edges of the sword right um but here's the crazy thing dude sure i could help somebody with cardiovascular disease diabetes all of these other things have been trained to know how to treat not just from a pharmacologic perspective but from you know diet exercise everything else you know i can't feel that i can't feel that because i don't know what it's like Mm -hmm. but when a man comes to me and says my marriage is not working it's failing for a matter i can feel into that because I would say that the near demise of my relationship was really the gift given to me to be able to have more empathy. I would say before that, I was actually probably quite an apathetic person. Um, some people would disagree. I've had people tell me, you're, you're not completely closed off, that you were completely apathetic. You know, but you were probably um, just apathetic to where there was fear based on what was going to come back from being per- vulnerable. Right, perhaps. Yeah, I just... I, for some reasons, I just sometimes didn't care. Um, but it's almost like uh, I have a. I wrote myself that early in life, people pushed me down, so that later in life, I could pull people up. Like being bullied actually allowed me to be more empathetic because I can see it and feel it. You almost you early in life, you fell down, so that later in life, you could pull people up. Yeah, no, that's a good way to look at it. And now you so, can feel that more as you reach out, and you can eat, reach out and probably read it on their face even before they're willing to admit it. Totally. You know, and I think, you know, a lot of this comes from our own experiences, right? You know, we tend to gravitate or resonate with those people that know what we've been through or what we're going through, right? You know, so. And that's a message that resonates with a lot of military dads based on the whether it be PTSD or the loss of a friend. They're all tragic. They're in, in some cases, they're, they're, your story could be as equally as bad as almost losing your marriage. But all of that can happen for you. And this is, your, your dad had a kind of a pretty good armed gift if maybe he would have shifted a few extra degrees because military dads are part of the 1% of the population that experience life in a way that no other dad does. And they right. can give a kid a perspective. And he sounds like he did give you some perspective that you still use today and run on that if maybe if he would have showed up and then showed you what a father's love felt like and, and emotionally connected, he may have actually would have been able to even propel you further into the future, even stronger and not have to, to wait for so long to fall down. And I think that's been my big message. A lot of times is as military dads, we're part of 1% of the population that no one else has experienced life the way we have. And we can create human beings that go out into the world and change it in a way that no one else has even thought of based on what the amount of life we've lived in a short period of time. Right. And one of the things I really learned from my dad, Ben, is that, Sometimes those lessons that they teach you don't actually get realized until much later, like you just kind of alluded to, right? You know, when I think back on some of the things, maybe in the moment that didn't mean that much to me, my dad was planting seeds. And that's really a lot of what I want to do for my daughters too. Sometimes I go down, you know, I talk about, you know, 
personal emotional intelligence is what I talk to my kids a lot about. And sometimes they look at me with blank faces or roll their eyes or like, they're like, no, Whatever. not again. And, you know, <laughs> and I just have to look at it from the perspective of how I look at some of the lessons my dad tried to teach me is planting seeds, right? If I don't plant those seeds, then nothing's going to, to bloom or they get planted much later and then they bloom much later or what have you. I don't know. But I just look at them like I'm just planting seeds. They might not list, be listening to me right now, but they will later. And some of the biggest lessons my dad gave me were around discipline and integrity. My dad was very big on following through. Uh, do what you say you're going to do. And I would say that I actually kind of repelled that and lacked that, especially early on in my my marriage. When you were in your rebellious phase? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> my rebellious phase of being married initially. Brandy was always, even before we got married, was had this challenge with me around following through. And, and then I started to really reflect, you know, on the lessons that my father, you know, gave me around integrity. You know, it's like, if you say you're going to do something, you freaking do it, man. You know, yeah, your, your word is your bond. And when your name is on something that uh, should mean something. And I've often liked to describe uh, our military past or our military experience as like a thousand wrench to, uh, snap on toolbox that there are so many things that happen to us, especially even if it's like Iraq or Afghanistan or battle or war, there are wrenches in that box that is like working on a car that has one purpose for one spot, one nut. And you'll never know until you have to take that nut off. And then you're like, oh, damn, that's what that nut was supposed to be. That wrench was there for. And that's kind of like when you use your, your what happens in your life is just another wrench in that box for a moment in time. And then that wrench will get used. And you're like, damn, that wrench has been there for my dad on the farm says the same thing. There's a pipe that he'll save since like 1978. Something will break and you'll pull it out of the scrapyard and been like, well, it's a good thing I held on to that for 30 years because now it just saved my ass. Right. When he got to weld something back together. One of the things I've also learned about my dad too, you know, is that he's actually for, you know, being a former drill instructor, um, he's quite thoughtful, but it's in a way that's very, um, I don't know. It doesn't come with a lot of words. It comes usually in, in, in very thoughtful, thoughtful gifts really. Like what he does now is he doesn't really buy my daughters any gifts. He will write them letters about what I was like as a kid and send them pictures old pictures, you know, or one time I remember he came to visit us and we were walking down the street with the girls to go to the park and he ran into, I introduced him to some neighbors that happened to be out. And I don't know how we got on the subject, but we were talking about games as a kid. And we talked about how I, I loved, we loved to play Stratego together when I was little. My dad used to always want to play Stratego with me. And I loved playing that with him. You know, we bonded over chess and Stratego. And about a week later, he had sourced a, an old, old Stratego board game from like the late 70s off of eBay and had it sent directly to me. It was all kind of dilapidated a little bit, but it was the, it had all the pieces and it was the exact version that I had as a kid with him. And it didn't say anything. There's nothing, no, 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 nothing. It was just to open it up and there was Stratego. And I knew exactly what he was talking about, that conversation we had with the, with the neighbors. So is he yeah. still alive today? He is. Yeah. He's still alive. He's actually quite young. Uh, he's uh, 67. So. Oh, so you got a lot more years, hopefully, to, uh, oh, to hang see out. random wi- wisdom and see his daughters <laughs> grow up and exactly. his granddaughters so. grow up. I like kind of the sidetrack we took there where we were reflecting on your, your dad because, and you probably haven't used it in a lot in your talks, but I, there's a lot of who you are, the, the, those wrenches in your toolbox helped you get through what you went through. And I think that's what often is missed when you're in those heat of marriage problems is you can feel like, is this a fork in the road or is this part of the path? 
And do I need to make a left turn and maybe end it? Or is this part of me growing and just continuing to use what life has happened for me and how it can propel me forward? And in a lot of ways, when you recommitted to go, you, you started really peeling back all the, the wrenches that you had given in your life and making sure that you were tuned up and operating correctly. Yeah, you know, that's a good point, Ben. And I think one of the things that's in what, what has changed for me too as well is I have huge analysis paralysis so that when I come to that fork in the road, I'm trying to determine, am I going left? Am I going right? Is there is a, is it a three-pronged fork? Am I going far right, middle right? You know, and then I'll sit there and I won't move forward some, or you didn't use to move forward because I wasn't sure which path to take. And what I've learned is that sometimes it's okay to just try one of the paths. I think we get caught up in the idea that if we make this huge mistake taking the wrong path, that we can't actually go back and try something different, you know, mm-hmm. that suddenly I've taken this or wrong path. Or that it'll be a dead end, like life yeah. stops at some point. Like, yeah, it might, it might be. It might be a dead end, you know, and it's like, oh, well, that didn't work, you know, so, um, and I think we get caught up uh, in a lot of like, well, that was a waste of time or a waste of investment or what have you. And it's like, you know, that's just learning. That's just part of the path. And, and, and I think sometimes the wrong path can be part of the path, you know, that we can reevaluate, we can pivot, we can try something different, you know, um, and cut our losses and say, well, that, that just didn't, didn't work. And Brandy and I do a lot of that in our marriage. We'll try. We used to call ourselves like relationship guinea pigs. We just got into this, you know, like, well, let's try this and see if this works. Well, that didn't work. Well, let's not throw that out. Or we'd even keep it around and say, well, it might work for different couples. That might be something that, you know, might work for them. But that, that just didn't work for us. So eh, let's just try something different. And we've been okay with that. Been okay with just trying different things and being okay when things aren't working to just then try something something different that just might work. It's like the, the, the concept of throwing like a hundred ideas at the wall and, and, and one will stick. If you're not even throwing the ideas at the wall, then, then nothing's going to stick. Or the, the Gretzky, if you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? You know, just do something, try it, give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's been a big change for, for me is to not sit and stand in, in paralysis because I don't know which way to go. What do you do when you need when you when you need that jolt? I, I feel like your answer is going to be running, but I'm wondering what your answer would be. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. When I, you mean like when I need to get uh, into uh, a when you're space like of, when you're stuck and you need to decide to take action versus stand it is, still. It is running for me, to be honest with you. I've had some of my best ideas while running. In fact. Um, and it could be anything for anybody, but what I do is I actually keep my phone with me, and when something sparks, I actually stop. I'll stop running and I'll be out of breath, but I'll leave a voice memo for myself because what I also learned, you know, prior to that was that so many times I'd get these great ideas and I'd be done with the run. I'm like, what was that idea again? What mm-hmm. was that? <laughs> you know, and, and I wouldn't remember and I'd be irritated with myself. But yeah, for me, it's running for uh, some people. I know like, you know, they like work if they would like to work on cars, you know, I think there's something in, uh, in doing it, something you actually enjoy doing, um, to get going back to when you start finding yourself, then you start finding the mechanisms to figure out how to move forward. And when you reconnect with who you are and just get in that space where you can truly feel anything you need to feel, that's often where the most clarity comes from. Let's pivot to a different direction. So military spouses have to learn how to do life without their husband for months at a time. And there is it's, it's, they accept it, they sign on for it, but they have to learn how to live without their husband there. And then they have to figure out how to reintegrate to that process. 
when you, th- and that's kind of sounds like uh, Brandy was, she was really able to do a lot without you. Like she, she, there, you probably didn't feel like you even really needed to be there. You might've probably maybe even felt in the way. And a lot of dads coming back home to their marriages would often feel the same way. When you think about trying to reconnect with someone that is in that masculine mode out of survival, which a military spouse is, what would you want a dad to listen to of like, what does that woman need to kind of switch out of it? Maybe they don't have any issues. Maybe they just naturally need to turn the flames up again. What's the ways that you've discovered in your... Well, the best way I can probably equate this might be even from a a relationship that where the spouses are together, but a bit disconnected, um, is to just get to know each other again. You might think you really know each other, but there's a good chance that if, you know, the husband's been away for a while, that he doesn't really know his wife as well as he, or she may have evolved. Yeah. And she may have evolved and changed and, and there's no shame in going back through the process of, of courting and dating again. Um, Brandy and I found that after 10 years of marriage that we had evolved and it was fun. You know, I, I get a little sidestepping. I get a few guys that'll be like, you know, I feel disconnected from my wife. How can we have conversations around being more vulnerable? And, and I will say, don't, don't do that right away. Don't jump from being disconnected into being, you know, trying to be super vulnerable with each other and having these deep conversations about where the relationship is going. Keep it easy. Keep it light. You know, mm. we would ask each other questions like, well, you know, tell me about the most important or not important, the most embarrassing moment, you know, in your life as a kid. Or we, we'd go back through old stories. And it was weird that we, I found that there were some things she had never shared with me before and vice versa. So I don't know if that's exactly, I just. Yeah, and I just, and there's, a, there's a word that I've just, I don't know if it's, I just created it, but I discovered it in my own head uh, last month. I was talking to a Navy SEAL and it kind of hit me through what we were talking about that really what you need is kind of an empathy bridge to rebuild and to be able to cross it on each other and meet each other in, in the middle on top of the bridge. But you're both different parts of your life, especially because her life kept going. Your life, it went in a completely different direction because you were fighting a war and you need to discover what life was like while you were gone. But you don't want to pull out the heavy stuff. You just really want curiosity. But by kind of doing that, you create that bridge to meet each other and then you can start going forward again. Yeah, I do think there just needs to be a time and space for just connecting, being simple again, you know, before it gets too heavy. Um, Because that, I think that heaviness, especially when you've been apart for so long, it it creates a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. It creates a lot of, you know, this artificial demand, if you want to call it that, you know, um, where you're feeling as though you've got to make the puzzle pieces fit, you know, or you and and then you're discouraged when when they don't right away and if you just go through the path of just getting to know each other again and keeping simple conversation simple to me that becomes the practice for the deeper conversations the more intimate conversations down the road it's a you 10 know? it's a 10 pound barbell at the gym you don't go right to right. the 80 pound when you're trying to lift it you're you right the ones and if you keep doing the reps of the 10 you can go to the 20 and then the 30 yeah. And I think, you know, uh, with this comes the idea of patience. You know, the things aren't going to to turn around overnight. And you've probably seen this in, in the Alliance, buddy, is that, you know, a lot of guys will be like, oh, well, I've been in the Alliance. I've been working in this dad's group for two weeks, two weeks, and my wife isn't 
changing. She hasn't seen the benefit of it. I'm like, dude, you've got years of not of not being connected. You're not going to turn it around overnight. Be patient. Stay the course. And all the little things add up after. It's a compound effect, you know? I mean, some of the, the great things aren't realized, you know, right away. Then they take all of these little deposits, you know, as small as they might be, you know, even just talking about whatever during folding laundry together. You might like this analogy. I heard it recently in a podcast that brushing your teeth on a single day does absolutely nothing for the health of your teeth. But brushing your teeth daily over your life allows you a, a clean, healthy mouth. And another similar way to relate it to is sending your wife one text once a month does nothing each day. If you do it every day over time, that will compound and create a better relationship. There's a lot of events that absolutely mean nothing by themselves, but compounded like brushing your teeth can completely change how your teeth look over time. Absolutely. You're totally right. You know, and, and when, you know, a lot of the things I did early on to, to make my marriage more strong were little simple habits of, you know, I would put, Brandy wanted to kiss more. She expressed that. And it was something I would not always think about in a moment. You know, it was more of her, her thing. And I would leave reminders on my phone, ping, kiss Brandy, ping. And I'd have to dismiss it once I did it, you know, and I would do this, you know, I think I did it three times a day and all those things add up and they actually become habitual. They don't have to track them anymore. You know, there's no harm. And I think a lot of people are like, well, that's unromantic. You know, that you have to remind yourself to kiss your wife. I'm like, sure, but I'm trying to build a new muscle. Yeah, that's you 2019. Know? That's just taking advantage of technology to allow me to do it <laughs> quicker, faster and cheaper. Yeah, exactly. And I even told her, I'm like, look, I'm sending these reminders to kiss you. It doesn't mean I don't want to. It's just that sometimes I'm, my head might be somewhere else and this pulls me back, pulls me back into, you know, recognizing what it is you desire in this relationship. And by golly, I desire it too. It just becomes, I had to make it more uh, second nature by, by making it a, something I had to track at mm-hmm. first. So. Yeah. I like that. And it's, doing a lot of just the the simple things, but also when you start doing those, that's when you start to create the polarity that starts attracting you back to each other because then you, you start to feel something when that kiss and then your brain starts liking it like a dopamine. And so then you start getting your dopamine from your wife instead of Facebook or, or work or that email or that praise or that beer with your coworkers after work. It, you start to get what you really need. Your 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 human needs get fulfilled in ways that fuel your life versus um, distracting and just pulling you and getting it from somewhere that's no different than eating a bowl of ice cream and then feeling guilty afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. You know, <clears throat> but you know, one of the big things that I know we haven't talked a ton about really is, and I know if we're talking about marriage here, a lot of guys are listening to this probably going, you know we're at a point where we're, you know, I can't even think about kissing my wife or, or whatever else. And, and again, it goes back to that, you know, you're, you got to work on you. And I know it gets cliched and thrown around so much, you know, to, to work on yourself, but, you know, working on yourself is working on your marriage. It is working on your, your fatherhood. It's that, that oxygen mask theory of, you know, and, and I have those three guiding lights. So, you know, when I started my personal development journey, because there might be guys listening to this that, that don't, you know, read a lot or, you know, personal growth books. And um, there are all these ideas that flooded in, but, but, and I know you've heard me talk about these, that the three that I still, I still use them today is, you know, I've got to also remember to create my own happiness 
to that I only have control over myself, and this is a big one in parenting now for me, is you know, my kids start to irritate me. Well, I'm irritated because I can't control them. Uh, and that attachment leads to suffering. You know, it's that the idea of living your true authentic self being who you want to be aside from, you know, ego, trying to let go of your ego uh, and being a, can we curse on this show? Being an asshole. Don't be a dick. You know, Um, that when we step into that, that's when everything else will fall into place. I've been really peeling back this. uh, I've never heard it really said, but once I heard it, it made perfect sense that you can't approach your marriage unconditionally until you unconditionally love yourself. Absolutely. Like you almost, I, I can't tell me times or how many years I spent trying to unconditionally bring love in my marriage. But at the, I can tell you in a heartbeat, I never unconditionally love myself or the person looking back in the mirror. And that has been my 2020 commitment or my next decade and the rest of my life commitment that, that until I look in the mirror every morning and can truly love physically the inside and outside of who I am, I still have work to do. Yeah. You know, it's um, one of the things I noticed as a, as a, a side effect, you want to call it, or a byproduct of doing this work was that I noticed that if I was in a really good mood uh, and my wife wasn't or my kids weren't, it wouldn't get me down. And it wasn't like I was trying. I'm like suddenly like, oh, man sucks that you guys aren't feeling good right now. I'll try to do what I can to help, you know, raise your spirits and do what I can. But I noticed uh, for a moment, I thought it was actually an apathy thing, but it really wasn't. It was more or less me just being, creating my own happiness that their bad moods couldn't bring me down. Yeah. You didn't Um, need their happiness to fuel your, you weren't outsourcing your happiness to them. Right. Exactly. Because before I could be in a good mood and they could quickly bring me down because I was relying on their happiness too as well or their joy or whatever else to, to feed back into me. When they do, that's fantastic, but I don't need it. I don't rely on it. Um, I try to create those things for myself um, because like you just said, you have to truly love yourself before you can really give that love into other people. You know, we've talked Unconditionally, about without expectation. Unconditionally, right, without the expectation. It's the, um, like David Dida's um, way of the superior man, you know, the three stages of relationships, you know, the first one being, and he has these terms for him that I forget, but the first one being, what can this relationship give me? And the second stage is the 50-50 tit for tat type of, I did this for you, you should be doing this for me. You know, it's like, it's, and it, that doesn't really work either. And the third one being where you freely give without any expectation of them giving anything back to you. And from my perspective, to truly reach the third stage there where you can freely give is because you love yourself enough that you can freely pour into others without the need for them to pour back into you. It's hard to really do that if you don't truly love yourself. Correct. You're always just trying to rob Peter to pay Paul. Right. You're becoming almost more of a, even maybe more of a people pleaser at the detriment of your own happiness by trying to give into them without giving anything back to yourself. When you truly uh, get to that point of self-love and caring about yourself, you can truly give into others without the need for them giving back. Typically, what happens is that they do, but you, you don't need that. And, mm. and that's, that's a true, that's a, it can be a difficult place to get to, but it's vital. It's absolutely mm. vital. Well, Lance, as we wrap up this interview, I am positive we rocked a few marriages and hopefully brought a few dads home to their kids and also their marriages. 
if you have one piece of parting advice as a, to the military dads listening to this, and I do have almost 15% of listeners are women, so there's also some, maybe a little bit in there. But if you want to leave one piece of parting advice, what's your golden nugget for us? You know, one of the best things I've, I've, I've done is in, through this journey is to really know myself to truly study myself in a lot of ways. And like you called it, you know, the appealing back of the onion and, and creating my own happiness. But then secondarily, there's also a piece of knowing your spouse. Um, one of the, we didn't talk about this much on the call, but one of the greatest things I did too as well was to study my wife. I've heard it to said know, to get a PhD in your wife. Yeah, get a PhD in your wife. Know what makes her tick, you know? Um, I started reading books uh, and asking her questions and being super curious. And, you know, um, because I started to really love myself, I wanted to pour into her in a way that that felt good to her, right? I didn't want to mm-hmm. just do the wrong things. I wanted like, hey, yeah. what, what lights you up now? You know, what makes you tick? What do you love? And, you know, even after, you know, 10, we've been married almost 15 years now, you know, I still do that. I still study her and watch her and observe her. And, and knowing your wife is 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 huge study here like that the, the your biggest hobby whatever your greatest hobby is that you've spent a ton of time on the internet studying do that for your wife mm-hmm. and prioritize it i've recently uh i don't know how many episodes ago but there's ver- there's there's only one commitment that goes to your death and that's the commitment to your spouse every other commitment is temporary the commitment to your kids your kids are going to leave the house your career everything else is temporary except the commitment to your spouse and a large portion of marriages world in the world, not just the United States, have that priority and that commitment not switched in the right priority. Yeah. And I found that when I when I get down about other things, as long as my relationship with Brandy is rock solid, man, I, I can I can move through those negative feelings very easily mm-hmm. simply because I've invested into the study of Brandy. I've invested yeah. You know, like I prioritize that because like you just said, that's the one commitment in my life that means more to me than any, any other is the one that I've made to her. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I've really appreciated this conversation, Lance, and I am definitely looking into get it out in the airwaves. And thank you for giving us your time this afternoon. Dude, Ben. Hey, thanks, buddy. I really appreciate being on the show. And, I, and like I said, I'm truly honored to, to be a part of it. Uh, and yeah, thank you. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show, and I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.